there. You know, we're supposed to sit down near the front when you're speaking. And I was kind of wondering, you know, this, you guys have had an interesting series of messages, haven't you? <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, it's like watching somebody fall downstairs. You, you, you want to stop watching, but you just can't, you know. One of the things that's uh, true about the Word of God, and uh, the part that we're looking at here, uh, we call narrative. Okay, that's the technical name for it. It's called narrative, but it's story. And, uh, and you can call it story. That's fine with me. I dropped my microphone when I was standing up, so I've got to get dressed in front of you here. It's very awkward. You can call it story if you want to, as long as you don't stick the idea of fiction in there at all, okay, because it's truth. The narratives in the Bible tell us what did happen. They don't tell us what we wish had happened. I mean, there's nothing in the last four weeks, so these ugly chapters, there's nothing in the last four weeks that, that we as a group of, of people who love Jesus Christ, who, who want to honor Him, who want to, to see His Word known and see Him known in the world, there's, there's nothing in this that would make us say, yeah, let's do that in our church. Right? There's nothing there. So I thought I'd start with this. This is from my youth, out of the old Mad Magazine. Uh, for an extra 10 points, maybe 1% off your tithe next week. Uh, you, know, you know what this thing is called? This is a bifurcated trifurcator. That's right. That's this. this is a bifurcated trifurcator. It doesn't matter how long you look at it. You can't make it work. Right? You can't make it. You say, there's three, there's two, there's three, there's two, there's three. You know, ah! And, and that's what is happening in, in this passage of Scripture. That no matter how long we look at it, we can't make it work, and it's our problem. Okay, That's our problem. Our, our minds aren't made, our eyes aren't, we're not wired to make sense out of this. And there's a lot that's happening in the passage we're looking at, we're not wired to make sense out of either. So you've been talking about never forget the sequel, and I don't think you probably will. When, when John... When John said, would you come and preach? I, I always say yes. Diane and I love to come here. There's something about your church that reminds us of our days as missionaries down in South Africa, about the spirit here, about the way you do things. And when, when I come here, I just, ah, this feels right. And, and, and I enjoy it. Well, judges. Okay, well, I've taught judges a bunch of times over the years. Never preached it, but I've taught it. And I thought, what could go wrong with this? And after a while, I realized, John, you hadn't told me what chapter I was going to be speaking on. <laughs> and, and I st- so, and then Roddy calls, and Roddy says, I, I, got, I got Judges uh, 19. You ever preached on that? And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> I would have given that chapter away, too. There's no way I would have died. I, yeah, okay. if, if my daughter hadn't been getting married, I would have found somebody to marry her. Okay, I mean, I really... <laughs> But this one, my brother, this one's not that much better. I just want to let you know and say that publicly here. Here's, here's where we're going today. Two wrongs don't make a right. You knew that, didn't you? Okay? Two wrongs don't make a right. And so what I want to do as we go down through these scriptures is to think through what this says and what we're going to do with it. Um, you know, there's... You saw this. I've heard that Charles Dickens got paid, paid by the word, and that's why Dickens' writings are so wordy. Uh, the Spirit of God, who wrote the book of Judges, was not paid by the word. And whenever the Spirit of God repeats something, 
you and I need to take notice of it. And here in five chapters, four times, we've got this same idea. In those days, Israel had no king. Now, now whoever wrote this is looking back on these times, right? Okay, whoever wrote this looking back on these times and probably looking from the vantage point of better times. In those days, Israel had no king. In those days, Israel had no king. And everyone did as they saw fit. So I want to think about this. And I want to get a little bit larger perspective on this. God has a greater plan. Let's, let's kind of take a, a step back. Now, in a few weeks, the freshman students uh, who I teach in Principles of Bible Study, that, that Principles of Bible Study is the only class that I've taught in 38 years I've been teaching this class. I've changed it a lot, but I love it. They're going to see what's about to come up here, so you're going to go to school for a second. You okay? This is the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew Old Testament. Okay? Law, prophets, and writings. Now, you see there I've got a big circle for Deuteronomy and small circles for Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. I want you to imagine that you were part of the nation of Israel. It's 1405 B.C., a long time ago. And you're standing on the east side of the Jordan River, facing west. And you're five years old. And as most five-year-olds, confused and inquisitive. And so right over there is Charlton Heston. <laughs> That's Moses. Okay. It looks the same. And so you go over to Moses, and you tug on his robe, and you say, why are there two and a half million people on the east side of the Jordan River facing west in 1405 B.C.? Why are we here? And Moses would say to you, do you have a minute? You'd say, sure. He'd say, well, okay, let's sit down. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void and darkness on the face of the deep. And I'm quoting to you from the book of? Right, Genesis, okay? And you flow through all of that because Deuteronomy was the contract, the covenant, the relationship with God that those two and a half million people and everyone after them would have with God. And so of all the things that might be taught to us about creation, what Moses gave to us is what we would need to make Deuteronomy make sense, make that relationship make sense. And hey, isn't the most basic truth in life that God made you? Because if he can, he can do whatever he wants to with us. And all those things flow into this relationship that was, oh, it was so easy. Deuteronomy says, life, two things. Love God, keep his commandments. And you should be saying to yourself, hey, wait a minute, that's what our church is about. Our church is about building a relationship with God through his son Jesus, loving God. And once we do that, Jesus himself said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's easy. Okay, well, what happened next? Well, do the bottom one first. This is going to be needed later. Okay, you see how what was called the writings? I expanded that all out. A lot of those things are the things you and I go to in the Old Testament when we want to grow spiritually. You know, the Psalms, the Proverbs, we, we, we see over here on the right, you know, we, we see ourselves in the people in these books. Okay, and, and the real life that's there, we, we see that stuff there. We're going to put this in my pocket. 
we'll glue it on for the second service. How about the prophets? Well, hey, that's where we've been. Book of Judges. Because here's how life works out spiritually under this relationship with God. And here's how it works out historically. And so we're right in the middle of the book of Judges. Uh, my point is, you can't get very far in the Old Testament without realizing it's all built off this. And that's why this scripture is so important. It's in Deuteronomy 17. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it, and you dwell in it, and then say, I'll set a king over me like the nations around me. You may indeed set a king over you. Now, it's true that God was meant to be their king, but it's not like they were creating a great sin. There's liabilities in it. But they weren't creating a great sin by having a king. Well, when you want a king, you may set a king over you, the king who the Lord will choose. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law. The king's job was to hand copy the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Hand copy it. And then, approved by the Levitical priest. They're going to make sure he does it right. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. Huh. Would that have made a difference in these last four chapters? If somebody was in leadership who knew the word of God correctly because he'd written it down and committed it to his memory, if there was somebody like that leading us, would these terrible things of chapter 17 where, well, he made a God of his own, a God that was too small to create a difference for his life. We need a God bigger than us, but listen, the best that we can do is to steal somebody's silver and make it into a statue. That's the best we can do. Unless somebody says, oh, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You will have no other gods before me. That was what the king was supposed to do. I mean, you know, in any position like that, I'm assuming you guys are, you folks are your executives, you know, there's both, there's leadership and there's management, okay? And there's both those things involved in the process of, of doing a group thing. And what the king was supposed to do is some of those management jobs. No, 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 we, we, don't, we don't make statues. They, they, aren't, they aren't gods. We, we find the one true God. See, that's what should be, but in those days, one, two, three, four times. In those days, there was no king. And then twice, beginning and end, everyone did what they wanted to. Everyone did they saw fit. And you and I see the results. So we're in Judges 21. There's a Bible in the bottom of the seat in front of you you want to open up there. Uh, we'll have most of it on the screen, but uh, whichever one works for you, that's the one you should use. You want to cement this in your brain. Judges chapter 21. So it starts out like this. The men of Israel had taken an oath at Mizpah. And here's the oath. Not one of us will give his daughter in marriage to a Benjamite. Now, the word oath is used 180 sometimes in the Old Testament. It basically just means promise. It's a promise, is all it is. And so they took this promise before the Lord. Not one of us will give his daughter in marriage to a Benjamite. Well, surprise. 
Here's where we're starting. I said two wrongs don't make a right. This is the first wrong. Religion isn't the same as faith. They made their oath before God. Very religious people. That oath, as they're about to find out, is exceptionally stupid. Just the fact that you make the oath, you're showing up and doing the religious thing. Religion is not the same thing as faith. Faith is rooted in God's word and God's intention and God's purpose. Religion is where you kind of use the Bible as, as a grab bag. You find something inside the Bible that you like. You pull it out. You make it part of your life. I like this. I like that. That's not faith. That's just religion. You say, why would they have done something like that? Well, <laughs> let me tell you what would have happened if there had been a king, okay? There wasn't, but let me tell you what would have happened. The king would have said, wait a minute, I wrote something down about that when I copied the law. Leviticus 5.4. If anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or do good, any sort of a rash oath that people swear. You know how we do that, that, that dumb stuff? Okay, we do that. Okay? And it's hidden from him. You know, you just say it. And then later on, it's like, oh boy. When he comes to know it and realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin that he's committed, how could, how could I have dragged this into my spiritual life? This is so foolish. He shall bring it to the Lord. To the Lord is his compensation for the sin that he's committed. A female from the flock, a lamb or goat for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for his sin. If you say something really dumb, like, none of us will give our daughter in marriage to a Benjamite, then later on you begin to think to yourself, eh, not a good choice. There's a way out. You know, I was reading last week, and I forget who it was who said it, so I can't give him credit for it, but... Uh, Oh, it's Seth Godin. Uh, he says that the, the first mistake you make would be getting on the wrong train. The second mistake you make is staying on it. Right? Well, if only there had been a king in Israel. If only there had been someone to say, guys, 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 Leviticus, we'll, we'll make a sacrifice. We'll take care of this. But, you know, there was no king in Israel in those days. Religion isn't the same as faith. So we, now we've made our oath, and now we're going to pray. And verse 2 says, The people went to Bethel, where they sat before God until evening, raising their voices. All the emotion in there. Raising their voices, and, and they're weeping bitterly. Lord God of Israel, they cried. Why has this happened to Israel? Why should one tribe be missing today? Okay, hey, listen. Even the duller among us could handle that question, right? I mean, really. Why is there a tribe missing? You don't need to ask God that. There's a tribe missing because we just spent the last chapter wiping them out. You know, a classic case of overreaction. Okay, so they didn't want to give up those guys in Gibeah. That there's another way around this besides wiping the whole nation out especially if they happen to have 700 guys who could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. That's not the crew you want to mess with. You find a plan B. 
You don't have to pray to God about something you know the answer to. You know, prayers are asking God to fulfill His Word. Prayers aren't asking God to tell you what you already know. We're missing a tribe because they messed up. And, and then they added to their religious demonstration here. Offered a sacrifice. Early the next day, the people built an altar. They presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Okay. They made an oath. They prayed. They presented an offering. They wasted their time. It's all religion. It's all religion. It wasn't faith. Because it wasn't trusting in the greater things that God had said. So, a little review for you. How do I have a God who's bigger than me and not a God of my own making? It's what they should have done. If they would have engaged in God's truth, this wouldn't have happened. Don't figure out life on your own. Where are those Levitical priests who are supposed to be telling you how to work the law? Live in relationship and in community. Now, I'm sure it's not lost on you, but just to be sure it's not lost on you, you can see the connection between then and now, can't you? Right? Engaging God's truth. I mean, that's why you come to church, okay? You're hearing God's truth. It's given to you from the Word of God. This church has better teaching than most churches I get to, okay? It's, it's, you get it right from the Word of God. It's the truth. Okay, you got that. Plus, that's general things. I mean, sometimes you come to church on Sunday, don't you? And you think, well, okay, that, that was good stuff to know. Other times you, you know, catch John afterwards and say, did my wife call you? You know, sometimes you store it up, sometimes you use it immediately. But then you have your own Bible study, right? And then you have the stuff you do in your small group, you know, when you're together. So you've got all that going. Don't figure out life on your own. And that's what those Levites were supposed to be around for. You know, when you, when you get puzzled, the worst thing you can do when you're puzzled is try to work it out on your own. Big decisions, man, that's why we have each other in the body of Christ. And then live in relationship and community. You, you build the kind of relationships, other people, that allow you to stay strong, that, that give you a, a place to go when there's a need. So yeah, that, that's what's happening here. Okay, as we said, two wrongs don't make a right. Religion isn't the same as faith. And reacting isn't obeying. Love God, keep His commandments. The fact that I'm doing religious things doesn't mean I love God. The fact that I'm reacting doesn't mean I'm obeying His commandments. Okay, so religion isn't the same as faith, and reacting isn't obeying. So here's what they do. Israelites ask, who from all the tribes of Israel has failed to assemble before the Lord? For they had taken a solemn oath. Oh, wait a minute. Another one. Okay, the word oath is, is used all through this chapter. Another one. They took a solemn oath that anyone who failed to assemble before the Lord at Mizpah was to be put to death. Okay, that's motivational. Now the Israelites grieved for the tribe of Benjamin, their fellow Israelites. Today one tribe is cut off from Israel, they said. How can we provide wives for those who are left since we've taken an oath? And by the Lord not to give them any of our daughters in marriage. And then they ask, which one of those of Israel failed to assemble before the Lord at Mizpah? They discover that no one from Jabesh-Gilead, how's that for a town name? Jabesh-Gilead had come to the camp for the assembly. Now, why would that be? We don't know. For when they counted the people, 
they found that none of the people of Jabesh were there. You've been asking yourself, hadn't you? Well, where is Jabesh Gilead? I knew you were asking. See, all this is going on down here. This is the region where uh, the mess of chapter 19 happened. Okay? And there's Bethlehem, David's town, way up here. There's Jabesh Gilead. Well, when, when that guy desecrated his girlfriend by sending her body throughout the nation in pieces, that horrible, horrible action. When he did that, the people came, it said, from Dan, way up here, actually, it's probably about there, Dan to Beersheba. Everybody came. But for some reason, these guys didn't come. I mean, they wouldn't have known about it. But for some reason, they didn't come. Now that's your Mediterranean out there, Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee up there at the top, Jordan River running down through there. They were all connected up. Not very far. I mean, this is like 70 miles. It's not very far. It's crow flies. So, <laughs> the assembly sent 12,000 fighting men with instructions to go to Jabesh Gilead and put to the sword those living there, including the women and children. Really? But in those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did as they saw fit. This is what you'll do, they said. Kill every male and every woman who is not a virgin. They found among the people living in Jabesh Gilead 400 young women who had never slept with a man. They took them to the camp at Shiloh in Canaan. The whole assembly sent an offer of peace. The Benjamites at the Rock of Rimmon, there was like 600 of them left. And this was their solution. This is their solution. Like I said earlier, the narrative, the story of the Word of God tells us what happened. It doesn't always tell us what we wish had happened. And so it destroyed this town. They, they destroyed these innocent people. Well, there was no king in Israel. You see, reacting isn't obeying. Something is not always better than nothing. You know, half a loaf may be better than none, but half a faith is never better than a full understanding of the Word of God. You say, can it get worse? Oh, yes, it can in the book of Judges. So the Benjamites returned at that time and were given the women of Jabesh Gilead who went spared, but there weren't enough for all of them. Really? They grieve for Benjamin. They caused this problem because the Lord had made a gap in the tribes of Israel. Well, yeah. The elders said, with the women of Benjamin destroyed, how shall we provide wives for the men who are left? And uh, you know, so they're, they're working a way of solving this problem. Benjamin's survivors must have heirs. The tribe won't be wiped out. We can't give them our daughters as wives since we have taken this oath. Curse be anyone who gives a wife to a Benjamite. But look! <laughs> An annual festival of the Lord in Shiloh, which lies north of Bethel, east the road that goes from Bethel to Shechem, south of Labona. You can find it, can't you? And so they instructed the Benjamites, saying, Go hide in the vineyards and watch. And when the young men of Shiloh, when Shiloh come out to join the dancing, rush from the vineyards, each of you, and seize one of them be your wife, and then return to the land of Benjamin. Yep. Yeah. Dads, I don't know how you are right now, okay? But, but 
I, I'm oiling my Glock right now. I mean, really, I really, this just makes me so mad that, they, that something like this would happen. So when their fathers or brothers complain to us, we will say to them, oh, do us the favor of helping them because we did not get wives for them during the war. You will not be guilty of breaking your oath because you did not give your daughters to them. Oh, got it. That's what the Benjamites did. While young women were dancing, each man caught one and carried her off to be his wife. Then they returned to their inheritance, rebuilt the towns, and settled in them. At that time, the Israelites left that place, went home to their tribes and clans, each to their own inheritance. Reacting isn't obeying. Jabesh Gilead decimated. A whole bunch of young women's lives changed forever because of it. And Benjamin repopulated. Listen, when I do what I want, Roddy taught you this, when I do what I want, someone always gets hurt. Someone always gets hurt. So what do I do now? Recognize that I don't possess the solution. Get off the wrong train. Trust godly influences to point me toward a solution. And submit to God and His perfect solution. If you're in the middle of something right now, in work, in family, in marriage, and you can't figure your way out, and if you are on the verge of doing something really stupid, because it's all you can think of to do, stop. Don't leave church. Stop. Get a hold of one of the pastors, get a hold of one of the elders, get an older brother or sister in Christ, and dump it. Just say, listen, I am, I am on the verge right now. Of, I, I just can't figure what to do. I know that this isn't right, but I can't figure what else to do. Let him give you a hand. Because otherwise you're going to wind up living right here in the middle of all this. W.C. Fields, from nearly 100 years ago now. I'm not sure it's true, but it's been reported that W.C. Fields was found reading the Bible on his deathbed. His entire life, of course, had not been characterized by reading the Bible. And when someone asked him, what are you doing? He said, looking for loopholes. And that's what these guys did. Let's see, now we made a foolish vow. Uh, we can't give our daughters to the Benjamites. Where's the loophole? What else can we do? Oh, take maximum vengeance on the city that didn't come out. Would have been nice to have a little cup of coffee with them first. Why didn't you guys come? Come where? We never got a messenger. Oh. Or go and ruin the lives of these young women who were there to serve God in the stance. Looking for loopholes. Ever caught yourself doing that? Well, I know what the Bible says, but... I know what I should do, but there must be some way out of this thing in a way that will save face for me, uh, in, in a way that will keep me, make me look good in front of others and not make me look so foolish. Because, man, if people find out what I did. We don't want to be the kind of people who are looking for loopholes. You see, we spend a lot of life trying to get rid of pain. And you and I need to face the fact that suffering on earth sometimes getting the results of our own stupidity. 
Suffering on earth is part of God's purpose. And our current sufferings, say, yeah, but I, I, I got, if I cover it up, as long as I figure a loophole, as long as I find a way around this, I'm, no one's ever going to know. Our current suffering on earth is preparing us for glory, whether it's self-inflicted or not. There's worse things than obeying God. Two wrongs. Two wrongs don't make a right because God has a greater plan. You see, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did as they saw fit. Remember we, we noticed earlier that was a past tense thing? Someone in the future was looking back on these days? We go forward a few years. This was before he was elected. I've always enjoyed Reagan's humor so much. Reagan said the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. <laughs> what, what would it take to make me willing to accept a king? I mean, we know what's going to happen. If I get a king, I have to pay taxes to support him. If I get a king, I'm going to have to put my son into his army. If I get a king, he's going to take my daughter to be a servant in his house. I mean, I don't want a king. What would it take, though, to make me say, but maybe I need one? Maybe I need one. God chose the first king of Israel. His name was Saul. Now, you, if you know the story, he didn't do well, and there's a reason for that. But Saul was anointed as king. Saul was anointed as king and didn't start kinging right away. Just went back to his farming. Look here. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. Hey, wait a minute. Wasn't that the city of people... Yeah, went up and besieged it. Years later, repopulated. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, make a treaty with us. We'll be subject to you. Seems reasonable, okay? Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace to Israel. What is wrong with these people? <laughs> well, we'll think it through, okay? I'm right-handed. Got my sword. Got my shield. Right eye. Okay. I don't know how much swashbuckling you've watched, but you know how it works. You know, when somebody comes at you, you put the shield there, and he's banging away at the shield, and eventually you want to get a chance with this thing, right? What do you do? Well, you peek out to see how things are going out there. What if you don't have a right eye? <laughs> That's not going to have a happy ending, right? And so he says, I'm, I'm going to gouge out the right eye of uh, everyone who's there and bring disgrace on Israel. So the elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days so we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we'll surrender to you. Us and our eyes. So when the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, wait a minute, weren't we there back in chapter 17 and 18? 19? Yeah. It's years later now. Came to Gibeah of Saul and reported to these people, they all wept. Just then Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen, and he asked, What's wrong with everyone? Why are they weeping? Then they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said. When Saul heard their words, look at this, the Spirit of God came on him powerfully. And he burned with anger. So Saul's being motivated and empowered and strengthened by God. And look what he does. He took his oxen, cut them into pieces, 
sent the pieces by messengers through Israel, proclaiming, this is what will be done to oxen of anyone who doesn't follow Saul and Samuel. Then the fear of the Lord, the terror of the Lord, the people, and they came together as one. Do you hear the echoes? Hear the echoes? God has a greater plan. You and I don't know what our part is in God's greater plan. But as we take a step back, looking at Judges 17 through 21, and see it in the light of the covenant book Deuteronomy, there was meant to be a king who knew God's word and administrated it. And then looked forward to see how, in spite of all the rotten things they did, the wrong things they did, in spite of that, as the years went by, God was even able to use that. I mean, when Joseph was an older man, and his father had died, and his brothers came to him in Genesis chapter 50, and his brothers had been so rotten to him. And they thought that, that he was like them, that now that dad was dead, now he would do them in for all the rotten they'd done to him. And, and Joseph said to his brothers, am I in the place of God? He says, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to save many people alive, even as it is this day. A perspective like that can only come from God's Word. A perspective like that can only come from loving God and wanting to keep His commandments. That's the only place it can come from because God has a greater plan. I want you this morning, I want you to consciously submit to every bit of the plan of God. And if, as I've worked through this, there was something in here, a frayed edge, an extra thread, something like that where you said, oh, man, I wonder if God didn't bring you here this morning to be part of his church to think about that. Because you couldn't be in a better place to get help. And once we finish off the service, if you seek somebody out and just say, I, I don't want to be religious, I want to have faith. And I, I, I don't want to react. I, I want to obey. But I just don't know what to do. Could you help me? They will. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity to know Jesus and to love him and to do that, Lord, in front of all these people here. We ask for grace and strength from you. We ask for wisdom from you. And I would pray for anyone who might be here this morning who walked in with a struggle that, that we just didn't have any idea of. And I would ask that you would give them the courage they need to come to Christ this morning or to come to the Word and get the problem sorted out. And I'd ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.